This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Yo, if you'll stand with me, I want to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. You see, I got my homie back with me. We ain't preached together for a while. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to read. You guys there? All right, all right. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who are being saved. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Amen, 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 amen. It takes a lot of skill to read scripture and put a straw in your cup say. at the same time. I'm trying to say, skilled, homie. It takes For a real lot though. of skill. Oh, it's man. It's skill, too. <laughs> Hey, don't spill my water. No, it's the lid ain't See, on, this, bro. That's the problem. We ain't preached together for a while. So. <laughs> Let me fix it. Uh, Get going. I got right, you. Don't spill my I water, got though. you, Doc. Okay. <laughs> hey, y'all, y'all, y'all. So last week, right? Last week, we got, got an opportunity to, to dive into um, the book of Acts. And what we've been doing as, as elders, um, Pastor Aaron, myself, the rest of the team, We've, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for this community right here, right? Um, God is doing um, a lot of things, right? And, 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 and as we are, are, as you heard today, going, getting back into the swing of a lot of things, RCs and all of our, our normal rhythms, we wanted to pray for us, right? Lord, how would you shape our hearts? How would you have us to, to live? And as we were um, praying the Lord is just bringing us, like, let's look into Acts and look at how on the family of believers were, were living there because the Lord would, would speak to us and call things to us, right? So we decided to do this two-week sermon um, called Devoted because we saw this thing there, right? And, 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 and what I want to do is sort of just give a recap. Make sure if you wasn't here last week, you, you, you understand some of the main things and then, and then push into to, to this week. But we ended last week looking at the, the reality of as the believers started to live fellowship together, right? Yeah. And then living into this thing, it said that the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved, Right? This is the, this, this missional reality of the family of God living life together, and the Lord is responding, and he is drawing people to them, right? And there was this one thing as Luke was writing this text that he highlighted about the posture of the hearts of the believers, 
about, about how they lived in this fellowship with one another. And the one word that stood out was the word devoted. It was the word devoted. Like, and so what we did last week in thinking about this word devoted, the Greek word that was used uh, and translated into, into devoted, we looked at some other texts and how that exact same Greek word was translated so that we can get a deeper feel of what is meant by devoted. Not just talking about like, yo, I read my daily devotional, but right, but 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 a deeper feel that we can we can know like, ah, this is what he's talking about. And one of those um, ways that it was translated, that exact same word, it talked about um, to give yourself, right? To give yourself over to something, right? Like I am devoted to my wife. I give myself over to her, right? Um, to give yourself. It talked about to be set aside and reserved for use, right? This is the same word. Like that's devoted for, for, for his use, right? Talked about to continue on. It was this text where, where Paul was going on mission and, 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 and he continued to on and, and it was the same word, to continue on without quitting, devoted. It talked about to be in attendance. Why? Because I'm devoted. It talked about a constantly going back to. Same word translated as constantly going back to. So as we looked at their hearts and we see that it said that they were devoted, this is the context. And this is the same thing that, that we're calling us to as, as believers that, that love the Lord to, to, to be devoted. And devoted to the same things that they were devoted to, right? Some of the things that are said there. It talked about how they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles, right? Jesus taught. And then now Jesus continued to teach through the apostles, and they, they were teaching the gospel. So last week we was called to be a people devoted to the teachings of the gospel. Devoted to it. The teachings of the gospel. They said that it was devoted to prayer. They made time for it. They came together for it. They, it, it had value. So, so last week, we, we, we called one another to be devoted to prayer. Seriously. They said that they was devoted to, to communion. They were devoted to, to, to the breaking of bread. And, and the context was both communion and, 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 and in their relationships with one another. And in this communion... The people was devoted to remembering their union in Christ, right? That's what it said in, in Luke. He said, as often as you do, do it in remembrance of me. But now the thing here, as you're doing this in remembrance of him and you're remembering your union with Christ, the thing is that you are not united to Christ alone, right? We are united to Christ together as a family, so this comes to mind when we think about this, un this union every time we, we break bread, right? This week we want to talk about three more ways of, of, of being devoted, right? And I want to start looking at Acts 2 and 46. He said, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their homes, Attending the temple and breaking breads in their home. I want to look at this, this slide real quick. 
You see, On one side, there is this relationship of their fellowship that you that you see. This is it's reflected inside the temple and where, where the gospel is being taught, where they're coming together and they're praying and they're, they're, they're breaking bread together. And then on the other side, there's a whole other reality that we're going to dive into to today where you see the fellowship and you see the, the unity and generosity and we ended off last week talking about there were these manifestations of, of, of the missional impact of them living into this reality day after day after day. And what I want to say, all of this right here, all of this was ways that they did this. Worship. All of this was worship, devoted to teaching, worship, devoted to fellowship, worship, devoted to prayer, worship. All of these were different ways that they was worshiping their, 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 their God, right? And the thing is, their fellowship wasn't just confined to the courtyard, That's the it. temple. Yeah. It wasn't just confined to, to, yes. to Sunday morning. Yes. This is important for us to grab a hold of because what sin does is it separates things that were not meant to be separated. Meaning, especially when we preach in series, you think one side is teaching prayer communion, the other side is fellowship, unity, and generosity. And some of us are good at one, and others are good at the other, and, and it's nice to have. It's kind of like how we teach the fruits of the Spirit. We look at the fruit of the Spirit, and we go through there, and we kind of look, love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, and so we look at it as a checklist, and we think of it, oh, I'm good at that one, I'm not too good at this one, I'm good at this one, and we kind of use it as a rating scale for areas we're good at. As long as we're good at maybe 51% of them, we feel like we're in a, a good spot. The problem is, the word fruit is not a plural. It's not these are fruits of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. That all of this is united together, and when the Spirit is in you, these are the things that come from the fruit of the Spirit's indwelling power in you. They're not because your personality, you're more this or you're more that. It's because the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. So when you look at a, a scale like this, what we can end up doing is going, well, some of us are word people. We love hearing teaching, uh, maybe not prayer so much, but we love kind of taking, we love this room, we love the temple worship, we love the proclamation of the gospel, and you'll go to churches where they're just like word, and we just study the word, and we just get in the word, and then what we do is we go and take classes on the word, and we just educate ourselves on the word, and I'm not demonizing any of it, but they just feel so good because they're smarter than everybody else when it comes to the word it's a form of self-righteousness then you got other cats who are just like you know what I'm just all about fellowship I just love chilling with folks I love doing coffee with people they're like they're just amped up because of how much coffee they're constantly doing and they just love sitting at tables with people and they love eating with people and their fellowship and I'm just I'm just like Jesus because I just get with the people you know that's what I do. I just get around the people. That's me. I'm just like Jesus. He was just amongst the people, you know. And what they do is they get at, at war with one another. 
word people, fellowship people. They get at war with one another. Well, the reality is you're separating something that's never meant to be separated. When Christ's spirit dwells within us, we enter into not just uh, staying into what we feel like we're good at and what we're, this reality is we entered into a whole new life, a cross-shaped life. Many of us feel the tension and I hear people ask me, Pastor, you do so much, how do you balance all of it? Well, I tell them I gave up on balance a long time ago. I don't even know what balance means. I I do know that I have to continue to pray, but I will say this, when you're walking the tightrope, you have to learn to live a balanced life and how you do that is like everybody else. There is no way to walk the tightrope, the narrow path, without a firm, vertical relationship and horizontal living where your hands are stretched out in fellowship towards other people. There is no way to live like Christ if you're choosing love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's just about me and God. And you're not the same loving your neighbor as yourself. There's no way you can say you love Christ and not love your neighbor. Because the reality is everyone who's trying to live this life of following Christ is walking like this. You can't balance without your arms stretched out. You can't balance without this reality of having a strong base of understanding God's word and knowing that the gospel is this real, true. I got to be devoted to hearing good preaching and worship and temple together and taking communion and understanding the work that Christ has done. And I also have to stretch my hands out and be in community and family and fellowship with one another. And you're saying, Pastor, I don't got time for that. I don't know how to do that. Tell me what do I need to do to make that happen? And this is where we fall into deep struggle because we're continually striving for things that can only be accomplished as the Spirit dwells within us. Which shows we're still trying to accomplish the works of the Spirit in the flesh. But here's what we see. Fellowship is how we know and experience. Scripture says the Word, who is Jesus in John chapter 1, the same Word, John chapter 1, that created the whole world. He was in the beginning with God. He was God. He was the one who in that Word, all things came into existence. All things hold together by Him. All things were made for Him and through Him. Unto Him be all the glory. This Word that created the whole world came in flesh. And dwelt among us because there is no way that we can be like Christ if we don't understand this reality of how Christ came, the Word 
embodied in flesh and fellowship and coming amongst and dwelling with his people and humbling himself all the way to the point of death so that we could experience this resurrected life in him because the word needs to be embodied. When he ascended and was seated at the right hand of the Father, he said, I'm going to pour my spirit in you and now you, my church, is going to be my word in flesh. You, church, are the embodiment. Us, church, is the embodiment of the word in which we say we are centered upon. And when we live into this fellowship and one another's and when we walk in community and when we are sitting at tables and fellowshipping and caring and listening, not just talking, y'all, listening and Speaking, confronting, and laughing, and crying, and all of the lives together, fellowshipping and caring for one another, and walking through and sharing life together. When we find ourselves in fellowship as a family, we begin to see what it means to be a part of the family of God, where it's not just about perfection, y'all. It's not just about living this perfect, self-righteous, upright life. It's about being in community with people who need your forgiveness, which means they've sinned against you. It also means you've sinned against others so you can learn how to practice repentance. It also means that you're in a place where there might be people who you really love to hang out with because you all click, and then there might be other people that you have to see through the eyes of Christ and see beyond the things that you wish they would change. It means that living in community and fellowship is sometimes easier for others, and for others it feels like this big death to self, but it is not something that the world will be able to know or we will be able to know. The word is not something we will be able to know apart from it being embodied. We would not go know God unless God put flesh on and dwelt among us. We didn't know because we studied a book and found out that he is true. We didn't know because it was we're smarter than everybody else. We knew because this God came in flesh and dwelt among us and made himself known through the person of Jesus. You don't know God without knowing Jesus. And we have known him and, 1 John says, experienced him. So if you want to know what it's like to experience the word, not just know the word, but experience the word, it has to be done in an embodied community church. The world needs to know and experience the gospel. So he's placed his spirit in us. And as the family of God, they get to know and experience the life of Christ as we fellowship with one another. This is the power of the gospel being lived out in a missional people as we fellowship around tables and house to house. And that same power, right? That same power that, that would work inside these believers, the same power that produced fruits of people being added onto them, that very same power of the gospel that shaped the, the everyday mundanes of their lives 
what it did was it created an authentic unity amongst the people of God. These were different people. They had different backgrounds, different experiences, but it was brought together and they're living this life in the unity that's being seen, the love that's being seen, all this. It, it was testifying of how great their, their God was, but it, it, it was authentic. You see, authentic unity is only created through the power of the gospel. It's only, it's only created through the power of the gospel. Now, we live in, in uh, a cultural time and, and, and moment that's really, that's really confusing, right? Especially when we start talking about, about, about unity, right? Because on, on, on one end, there's aspects of culture that is so polarizing and, 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 and they just own it, right? right? Like, we're separated we don't like y'all, and we're getting really, really emboldened about making sure you know that. And people are responding, and, and, and there's separations all over the place, and there's, there's tensions because of that. And then there's another aspect when it comes to unity where there's a whole bunch of superficial unity, a whole bunch of fake unity. It's inauthentic, right? How to do ask once, like, like, why do you guys always talk about unity? Aren't you guys happy that people sit next to each other inside of your church that are different? Isn't that good enough? And it's like, hey, well, well, first of all, Jesus talked about unity. It meant a lot to him that his church would be united, right? It was a demonstration of the power of the gospel, right? Secondly, we don't want something that's just fake, Right? We're talking about authentic, real, true unity where people are brought together despite their differences. And, 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 and their, their time wasn't so different from our time where as if it didn't have cultural tensions. In the time of the early church, there was tons of cultural tensions that made, that made it difficult for there to be unity. That made it difficult. There was a lot of things that was going on. But you read this text right here. And in the midst of this text, right, sort of just woven in and you can miss it. You see this example of just, just economic unity, right, as an example, because that's another way people are separated. But you see this example of it, right? Like the, the body of Christ is living together and, and, and people are going to, to work. And it's not like they all made the same amount of monies. It's not like they was all going through the same things, was at the same place. But, but you read this text and it says the haves would go to the extra extent of selling what they had to help the have-nots. This is, this is how they were coming together in unity. It said they had all things in common, right? They had all things in common. So, all right, all right. God, God placed me here and God placed you there. But listen, we're in this together, right? Because it's authentic unity. You heard, I heard. I celebrate, you celebrate. We're in this thing together. So they was willing to give what they had for the sake of the unity because Christ gave what he had for the sake of the unity. They're living into this same reality. Christ is like, I'm giving it, and I'm going to the cross. Why? So you can be united with me, and then we get united, and we say, I'm giving it. Why? So we can be united together in Christ. 
So Christ builds this unity that's, that's, that's centered around him. A unity that's centered, informed by, shaped by the truths of the gospel. Uh, just connect them back to God's original intent in, in creation. And yes, there was a cause to it. Yes. And we're also called into this, this, this costly unity that you see Christ pay for on the cross. We're called into the exact same thing. But it doesn't say that when they was selling their possessions to help one another out and living into this, that they was complaining about it. Like, ah, oh, man, we got to help Janet out. Shucks. Man, I like that couch I had to sell. No, it didn't say that. You didn't see, you don't see Christ complaining about it. You don't see them complaining about it because the cost describes the value. The cost describes the value. And then on top of that, you see, because somebody could pay a price tag on something, and you can look at it and be like, well, I see that price tag, but I don't think it's worth that. I'm not willing to pay it. We, we do that all the time. But Christ was like, no, no, as, as Pastor Aaron always say, not, he the one that sets the price tag, and it's above everything that anyone else can afford, and then he's willing to pay it. And then us, we the same thing. We like, hey, the worth, the value is worth it. I'm willing to pay it for the sake of being united together in Christ. And the believers are called into this costly and authentic unity, and they live it out with joy. That's it. Oh, oh sisters and brothers, I wish you could grab a hold of this. Because so often I can only hear the church, especially in America, complaining about how hard it is to follow Jesus. But can I tell you what people hear? When we only complain about how difficult and how much it costs and how many sacrifices I have to make and how much I have to do, what we're talking about is when we talk about counting the cost in Scripture, it is not about a thing of how much it costs. It's about how much it's worth. Right? When you see the pearl of great price, you go sell everything. When you see the treasure in the field, you go... This stuff is crap compared to this. I'm selling it all. I don't, this, I, I have to have this. It all is worth to be left down. And, and what we talk about is how much it costs as if we're actually trying to consider like the rich young ruler, if it's worth all I have. And we walk away sad. It just costs too much to follow Jesus. Many of us continually confessing how much, how hard, how difficult the generosity requires, the things that it takes, as if us counting the cost means it's not worth. I'm going to tell you this. The gospel, the work of Christ, the person of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, living in an adopted family that's been brought into covenant with him and one another, it is. There is nothing more valuable than that. These people were willing to sell it all because it was worth it. I want you to notice that this reality of temple and house to house presses against how we like to live kind of separated lives. 
We love to come into rooms like this and hear teaching and, and sing songs. And, and then if we have some leftover, throw some money in the plate. Maybe. That kind of put our faith in a box is not what the gospel calls us into. All of life is all for Jesus. This kind of devotedness presses us to say, yes, you need the temple, but you need the house to house. And the house to house needs the temple. You need places where you come and as a family corporately declare and live into liturgies. But you need places where you go into homes and look into faces of others and share and table fellowship with one another. In ways where you're studying and praying and caring and, and seeing needs and, and having those kinds of live And living, yes, yes, yes. I'll hear it. We'll hear it again. Sacrificially. And laying down our lives and sharing with one another. We don't like messages like this because I can just hear you all's mind. You all got quiet real quick. You're like, all right, a couple of more pastors who just want my money. <laughs> just a couple of things that are not true here. We made a decision a long time ago. By the grace of God, all of our elders, pastors, leaders for a long many years have not lived off of your tithes. Thank God, couldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it also does something else. It allows us as fathers in this community and a part of this family to help support and care for this community, but it also gives us the opportunity to preach without trying to earn a paycheck. You can say some stuff. You're like, I ain't tithing no more. Well, I'm saying my paycheck, I still got it coming. The realities of this has enabled us to be into a place where we want to press into. And as God has provided, we've been able to bring on people and, and, and have different growth. But I'm, I'm going to tell you this, that generosity is not about we need it. But I will tell you this, generosity is a window into your heart that you don't want to look through. So when we start talking about it, you get real uncomfortable and blame us when God's trying to open a window to show you what your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And the fact that another preacher just wants my money just shows that you think it's yours and it's not his. I love the fact when people start going, oh, I don't believe in the tithe. I'm like, okay, that's good. I believe in new covenant giving. It's all his. He doesn't want 10% of your, your money. He wants all his money that he's entrusted you with that he's placed in, in your hands to steward and to care for. He wants, he wants all of it. He wants all of it, not 10%. He didn't die for 10%. He gave it all, and he wants a people who are giving it and laying down it all, and they're entering into this all-in covenant with one another. Church, this reality has not only compromised what it means for us to be a part of a community, it far reaches beyond us just coming to a service on Sunday. Church, the reason why we are not experiencing the kind of power of Acts chapter 2, and I've heard many conversations around this, hey, why is it? Why is it that we're not seeing the miracles and salvations and signs and wonders in the West? And why aren't we seeing all these kinds of things? And I, I, I would just say... I think we're experiencing what it means 
to be the rich young ruler walking away because we would rather have all of our possessions than the power of God. We're like the sorcerer who wants the spirit that we can pay for. How much does it cost to have the power? That was offensive to the apostles that you could buy the spirit. You want to know what caused this community to move from this kind of shalom of a new created people? Chapter 1 of Genesis, you see this new created earth. Two chapters later, it all falls apart at the fall. Chapter 2, you see this new created community. It all falls apart two chapters later when Ananias and Sapphira go, I'm just going to hold a little bit back for myself. It is that kind of idea that an open hand means this. I receive all that I have from him, and I don't do this. I keep it like this. All I have been given has been poured into me, and now it's, I got to be generous with it. Generosity is the outflow of the gospel in our lives. And what happens in this kind of community is you continue to see a father pouring out his power upon a people who are living like this. He pours out signs and wonders and miracles and people are being saved day in and day out. And the reality is, here's, here's the thing. I, I always hear people talking about, man, we just need to expect the miracles and the signs of wonder. We just need to have a higher expectation. These people didn't expect it. They were in awe every time it happened. God loves to do things that blow us away, not go, well, I expected that to happen. No, 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 no. Listen, church, they were in awe. They were blown away. They were humbled to be a part of the community. And the reality is when we live in that kind of posture where we open our hands and trust, we constantly find ourselves in places where we're like, I can't believe God did that. I can't believe God did that. And I will say this, many of us are struggling to see it because we're trying to pack in our whole spirituality into these hour and a half on a Sunday morning. So we come into places like this and we better, we better get it in. We better have everybody do this. We better have miracles. We better have signs and wonders. I better be able to see them. We better feel something. We better have it all right here in this moment. We try to pack it in. We walk away really disappointed. Because we're chasing signs and wonders and miracles. But these people didn't pack it into just an hour and a half in the temple. What they had is all of life. I'm going to tell you this. If you're coming to a church like this to go, I need all my experience and seeing God move right here on a Sunday morning, you're constantly going to be going, where's God moving? Because I'm going to tell you this. If you get involved in fellowship, in family, and in community, it is day in and day out. Signs, wonders, salvations, we don't chase after them. They just follow us. They follow us. They follow those who believe. They follow those who are living into family, who are devoted Church, we're constantly trying to scrape and strive and, and, and have God do what we want him to do and pay him off. But this reality is these people were constantly just living into what is it that the gospel has called me into? How do I humble myself, give myself, live in unity, all these kinds of things by the power of the Spirit. And they were blown away. 
by the miracles that Christ did. And God was adding to their numbers daily. Wayne and I got a chance to just uh, spend time with a group of people who came to our membership class over the last four weeks, sat together, three weeks, sat together, some 50 people throughout the course of that time, hearing testimonies, talking through this. I, I, I just have to say this. I was blown away how God is adding to this church. I will tell you this. I'm in awe. Ask me how I did it, and I'll tell you I didn't. How did, how did, it, how did you get? I don't know. It just, God did something in them. Brought them into this family. I look at the gifts and the talents of these people. I look at the baggage that comes with them. I look at all of the things that's coming into this family, and I couldn't be more thankful to see how God is adding members to this church and has continued over the course of the 17 years that we've been in existence. But there has been times of adding, and church, there's been times of pruning. And it's all been God doing the gardening. Because one plants and one, well, one plants and one waters, but it's only God who does the increase. But what we want to do today, on the heels of this and starting our RCs, is, is a call for us to continue to commit to the same thing. You know we've preached this same message since the day we opened the church. This was the first message we preached, and we preached it, some form of this, every year for 17 years. Why? Because instead of casting a new vision, like I went to churches for a long time, and I did it myself, where every year was greater things, greater, greater, greater things, increase, better, everything's upward mobility, right? And I would go, and, and I'm trying to prophesy, I'd get to the end of the year, I'm a false prophet. I said greater things, and it was the worst year I've had, right? And it always tripped me out. Why does every prophecy have to be greater, right? Why can't, when's one church going to go, this is the year of pruning and falling apart? God told me he's going to spank us all year, right? He's going to discipline us. This is the year of discipline. Welcome. But the Lord told us, stop giving new visions of what you hope will happen and continue to call people back to the picture of what the church is supposed to be and just cast the same vision every year. So every year we've been saying the same sermon. Devote yourself to gospel living and I'll do what I do. So this time of us recognizing these we had a whole handful in the first service. Recognizing these new members is, is this. One, I would say this. If, you're, if you are a member, then it should be a welcome to the family, and we're so thankful you're a part of it. If you're not a member and you're seeing this and you're going, oh, man, no, membership, I don't know. I don't, I'm a member of the big C. I don't do this whole thing. This is not an elevation into membership. Like all things in the gospel, this is a dying to self. And, and it is a humbling of myself to unite with the body of Christ. They're not trying to elevate themselves into something. They're trying to follow the path of Christ. So don't see this as like some second tier. 
And if you want to know more about it and be involved in it, but if you're a committed part of this church, we want to do what we, we do every time members join. We want them to stand. If you'll stand, if you just joined and signed the covenant, if you could stand right now. Thank you. <laughs> ah, they were waiting. Who's going to do it first? Give them all a hand. Thank you so much. Stay standing, and here's what we're going to do. I want to look at you guys. Stay standing. Don't sit down. Give me, I'm, I'm looking at you, brother. No, I'm just kidding. All of you. I want you guys to see this from me and from Wayne. We've been talking about this. I believe God has sent you to us and added you to this family. I know God has used us to impact your life, but I believe God's going to use you to serve and care for and to serve this church, and I could not be more honored and thankful to have you in the family. You don't have to earn a position here. You are a part of the family. I want you to have all the brothers and sisters around you. If there's somebody next to you, whether you're a member or not, could you just stand around them and lay your hands on them? And we're just going to pray over them and ask the Spirit to just meet them in this place. And so if you would, as a part of the family, just lay your hands on these brothers and sisters. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would make this a covenant sealing moment for my brothers and sisters. Would you remind them of this is your work and not their works, lest we should boast. You have saved them, adopted them into your family, and you have brought them into this community as we live as covenant people. And we're not trying to do it to grow just in numbers, but what we're trying to do is be faithful to the mandate that you've given to us to be fruitful and multiply and fill and display your kingdom in the world. And we need one another as members of the body. We need each other. Help us to live devoted lives. Help us to live faithfully to your word. Help us to walk in fellowship. And I pray in the name of Jesus that this would be a moment for these brothers and sisters that it's not just a paper that they've signed, but something would be sealed in their heart by your spirit. You would encourage them that they can't do it because they're perfect or because they try harder, but it's not by might or power. It's by your spirit. It's by your spirit. So fall on them, Holy Spirit. Fall on them in the name of Jesus and fill them to overflowing and let them walk not according to the law or self-righteousness, but let them walk by the power of your spirit and according to the righteousness that is in Christ. Let them follow you, holy, devoted lives, and let's do this together for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give them a hand? Thank you, guys. We love you. Church, as we do every week, we take communion together. And I don't think there's a better way for us to end this series before we end in Exodus, before we start into Exodus next week, than by taking communion. Would you do me a favor and just close your eyes and begin to think about who Jesus is? Could this time of communion be two things for you? Could this time of communion be both a time for you to remember all that you've received? Some of you are constantly asking the question of what do I have to do? Today, I would love for you to just say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need your body, your blood, your spirit. I need you. 
And as you come to the table, you come hungry because you know you can't do it in your own strength. You have to have Christ. You have to have his spirit. You have to abide in him. And as you come, you come in need. So you come starving to the table. But also what communion is, is a recommitment. The reason why you do this every week or the reason we do this together as often as we eat is it's a recommitment. It's a redevotion, if you will, to what you're devoted to. It's a recentering. As you come to the table, you're saying, Lord, something about this word today is challenging certain areas of my life. And I, I commit, I devote myself to your word, to prayer, to communion, to fellowship. I devote myself to a life of worship unto you. Not trying to control the outcomes, but I devote myself to what I've already devoted myself to. I need to continue to remember. And the Lord might have used today to just kind of speak some things to you. And show you areas of your life where you're chasing other things. And he's calling you back to him. I know he is for me. So as you come to the table, you come hungry. But you also come remembering and recommitting yourself. Devoting yourself. Returning to the truth. The life. So church, the tables are open. Use this time to feed on him and to commit to him. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. 